Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today, I am really excited to be joined by Tina Ramirez. She is a human rights advocate, a mother, a small business owner, and now she is a U.S. congressional candidate in Virginia and the Virginia 7th. Tina, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be with you all today. Well, Tina, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, um, you know, you have this kind of really, I don't know, kind of interesting and provocative bio talking about the work you've done on human rights. Again, I always like to talk to moms, um, but you've also, you know, you have business experience, cons- considerable business experience. Um, and again, uh, now a U.S. congressional candidate, which we will get into a little bit later, but tell us a little, little bit about yourself. Well, I guess first, since we're here for moms, I, I have a little six-year-old girl, and she's just the, the joy of my life, and I actually am a single mother, so I, for all those women out there, I completely understand how hard it is to be a mom. I mean, it's a, it's um, just, you know, it's a lot of work, and so <laughs> that's, that's really my first job, but in addition to that, I have had uh, the honor to work in a number of different fields over the last 20 years throughout my career, but primarily in the field of international human rights and helping people that are uh, particularly persecuted for their beliefs and their faith. And so I've worked in about 30 different countries defending uh, the human rights of women, of children, of communities that are that are getting attacked because of their differences of belief and ethnicity. So in Iraq, Sudan, Nigeria, uh, next month I'll still be in Iraq. I run a business that I founded eight years ago, and my company is called Hardwire Global. And so we go into countries where People don't have the kind of basic rights and freedoms that we have here in America, and I, I help them develop legal protections for their basic rights and then also educational programs to um, infuse a culture of respect for basic rights into their education systems. And so that's I get to do that in Iraq with the children of, in northern Iraq that, that um, experienced significant trauma during the conflict there recently, but all over the world. And so I'm a former teacher myself, and I just feel really grateful that I've gotten to meet so many people around the world and serve them and help them. Well, your work in, in um, human rights and especially helping women is certainly needed now, especially with what's going on in Afghanistan. And uh, and and we know the atrocities that have already happened to women there. Um, there are viral videos everywhere showing beatings and murders. There was a, a, a female police officer in the I believe a northern part of Afghanistan was dragged out of her house, eight months pregnant and killed with a screwdriver by a group of of men. I mean, the, the, and we're going to see more and more of this. So um, I want to get into, uh, you know, why you're running, but I imagine you are even more eager now to get into Congress, uh, uh, given what's gone on in Afghanistan. You call yourself, uh, though, an outsider. Um, tell me why that is. So I, I haven't, I hadn't been in office before. This is more, like probably a lot of your listeners, just a concerned mom that was really frustrated with the things that were happening in our country, uh, obviously in our foreign policy, because that's that's the arena that I work in. But but I'm frustrated with what's happening in our schools, things that our ch- children are learning now, how they're teaching them, um, how they're shutting down our schools, and just the lack of uh, civility, the um, just how so many of our basic rights from being able to express ourselves to our freedom of worship to so many other basic rights are now being really restricted and 
and affected in a way that we've never seen in our history. And these are rights and freedoms that I fight for around the world for people who, I mean, could only imat- like hope and wish for the kind of freedoms that we have. And so to see those rights being trampled on here, being um, taken from us is very concerning. And so it's very yeah. motivating. But like you said, in Afghanistan, the situation is just horrific. Uh, my my a close family member was actually over there recently flying those evacuation flights mm. out of there for the U.S. Air Force. And so it, it was very close to home for me. And um, it was just tragic when we saw those 13 soldiers lose their lives. Uh, but, yeah. you know, all through that time, I was getting phone calls from 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 humanitarian workers that I knew from uh, from Christians that were on the ground that it are missionaries and hearing about the people that were in hiding, both Americans. There was mm. one woman that was an American that couldn't get out with her young daughter, daughter, her toddler. And so we were able to help her get connected and, and oh, ultimately get out, get safe. But that the Christians that are there are um, just, they're going door to door to find them and to kill them. And we hear every day about the young girls that are being forced into child marriages and, and raped and tortured. It's, it's horrifying what's happening there though. And there's also, yeah, it it really, it really is there. there, I also read some news about them, them killing young boys. Um, They're killing young Mm -hmm. boys so that they can't resist, you know, right. uh, It's, it's absolutely um, biblical um, what they're, I mean, we're, this is uh, uh, barbarism completely um, disturbing, which I think is, but, but I do think that we need people in Congress who understand um, you know, what's going on, understand why human rights are so important and have experience right. in that. So you are running. I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a mom who felt sort of the call to activism because of what I was seeing in Virginia. And I'm, I'm sort of pivoting back to more domestic issues and what's going on in Virginia. Um, it's really shocking to me. You know, I came, I came to live in Virginia, about 20 years ago, I chose to, to buy a house here. I chose to raise my children here. And it is a daily battle in this, in this state to keep my kids away from some of the stuff that they are teaching in my local school. Um, I'm up in Alexandria, Virginia. And you're not, the 7th District isn't so far. You're above Richmond. Um, you're, I think I'm getting this right, sort of above Richmond between here, basically between here and Richmond is your, is this district Mm -hmm. that you're running for. And, you know, and the thing is, is that (laughs) it's not any better. It's, it's amazing how it's gone throughout Virginia because Northam's, um, you know, Department of Education, um, Virginia Department of Education is filled with true radicals, educational radical, Mm -hmm. political radicals Mm -hmm. who see it as their job really to radicalize kids. Tell me, you mentioned earlier a little bit. I know I, I'm, I, 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 it's my fault. I'm sort of the interviewer, and I'm, I'm sort of all over the place. But tell us again. You know, um, one of one of your motivations here is to run because of, you know, it sounds like as a mother you were concerned about what you were seeing in the schools. Yeah. So I'm so I'm running in the seventh congressional district in Virginia. This is a seat currently held by Abigail Spamberger, and it is in the Richmond suburbs. So it's Chesterfield, Henrico. It goes all the way up to Fredericksburg, so just about right. 45 minutes from you in D.C. and then we're in Northern Virginia, and then it goes um, south of here as well. And so it's a big district. I actually grew up in Powhatan, which oh. is a rural county right next to Chesterfield. Sure. I live in Chesterfield currently. Uh, and Powhatan was one of the seven counties in our state that had adopted 
this inquiry initiative that was promoting critical race theory in our right. schools. And so, I mean, for the last year, I've been very active uh, with other parents in fighting against what's happening in Virginia. And really, Virginia is ground zero in our country right now for the radicalization of our children. And it's it's unlike anything that, you know, when I grew up in Palatine, I mean, you know, the biggest thing was we didn't have McDonald's in town. It wasn't like, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, it was, life was a lot simpler then. I mean, my fam, my both my parents were medical um, professionals. My dad owned a little, ran a small rural family practice. My mom was a nurse midwife. I mean, we just, I grew up in a family where you serve others, where, you know, we got paid in chickens and vegetables sometimes, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it wasn't like, Life was simpler where we went to church on Sundays and, uh, you know, you work hard. I mean, faith, hard work, you know, and and service to others was just what we learned growing up. And somehow in our country, we've gotten to this place where now in Powhatan County, of all counties, uh, no different than Loudoun County and in the other parts of Northern Virginia, parents, well, number one, they are forcibly indoctrinating our kids in this critical race yes. theory ideology, this idea that that's really based in Marxism, and that's clear from all of the documents that they are pushing in our schools, and I've read through all of them, uh, that that put, puts people into these classes of oppressors and oppressed based on the color of their skin. Now, I am a single parent. My daughter happens to be biracial because her father was from Africa, and I, I'm extremely disturbed that they are teaching our kids to be racist, essentially, yes, and to prejudge yes. kids and to prejudge others, or and including their parents, because what's happening then is my daughter and I have these conversations. She's only six years old, as I said. And and it's so confusing for them now. And they ask questions like, well, do I need to be darker? Do I need to be lighter? What's wrong with you, no, mommy? No. These are not conversations we should be having. And the, and the indoctrination of our kids in the schools is creating division in our families, in our communities, in our homes, and it shouldn't be. We should be able to send our kids to the public schools that we pay for and expect that they will reinforce our values and teach our kids how to think, not what to think. And well, I know as a school teacher, that's what we did. So I'm just not sure where we've gone in our country that the same ideas I fight around the world are now ones that I have to fight in the public school system. It, it's just, it's very motivating. I will tell you that. <laughs> it, it is very motivating. It can be discouraging though. It feels like, you know, I'm tired. I am tired. I just want to be able to send my children to school and not have to worry about these things. And, and, the, and I was, I was worried about these things. We started to see political stuff um, even in the, uh, you know, even in the elementary school, which you kind of get a sense in, in many ways that people think, Oh, well, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to middle school. Cause that's when a lot of this started, this stuff starts happening. But we start, my husband and I, and you know, of course we live in like, <laughs> we live in Northern, Northern, Northern Virginia, which I always like to say, if you, you know, went to, uh, Sherwin Williams, you know, there'd be like the darkest um, blue on the on the color wheel. It's it's very very blue, and so, um, and it's not just that. It's it's a complicity among the parents. You know, it's funny up here in Northern Virginia, Loudoun County gets a lot of um, has been getting a lot of attention for you know having a really significant pushback, and people always think that. And, and Fairfax County as well and, and some other counties. But here in the little city of Alexandria, there's very little pushback. Um, that's how sort of dark blue it is. And so, you know, you I think the parents who do who do object are tired because you have to watch for it daily. But I yeah. but, you know, I, I think you're right. It just is amazing what's happened to the state of Virginia under Northam and under mm-hmm. some of these other other, um, you know, 
districts that flipped. Let's talk a little bit. I find your district, the seventh district of Virginia, to be really interesting. And I know some of the Politico folks that tune into this podcast, um, who are also parents, will find this kind of fascinating. So this district was held for years by Eric Cantor. So I mean, he's sort of, you know, I mean, that was that was you powerful leadership. He had a powerful leader leadership position. He's sort of an established Republican member of the House. Um, you know, he was uh, he was defeated in a surprise upset um, by Dave Bratt. Um, and what's interesting is that Bratt was much more conservative. He was less of an establishment guy. I mean, there's all these stories about how, you know, he he, he won after spending much less money and not getting any PAC money on the um on, you know, on the, um, for his campaign, whereas, you know, obviously Cantor had a ton of money. Um, I find all this kind of fascinating. Um, and then Abigail, I'm sorry, Spanberger comes in. She is hugely to the left, obviously, even, you know, and, and, and I mean, not that Cantor was even, he was a pretty solid Republican on most of these issues, but, you know, she voted against tax, Trump's tax cuts. She wants harsh new restriction on gun ownership. She calls climate change the greatest threat to our economy and our national security. She's pro-abortion. She fully supports Obamacare. Um, so it's kind of interesting how this district seems to have really have why the pendulum swings far in this district. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, yeah, this is definitely a very diverse district. Uh, it's 70% of the population lives, though, in Chesterfield and Henrico County, so in those two counties. And then, but the majority of our demographic, like our, our, our you know, the, the geography is actually in rural areas across across it. So 70% of the geography is actually rural. So that's okay. where you get this really huge divide and perspectives across the, the county. And But ultimately, it's a Republican district. It was uh, Republican plus six when Dave Bratt lost and a Republican plus three last year when we lost the seat again. And so what we are seeing is that there, the swing voters really are those women in the suburbs that, um, that want a different kind of candidate. I mean, ultimately, yeah. and I think that, that that's what it requires to, you know, to win the district. And we saw last year, 11 of the 15 seats that Republicans flipped across the nation were flipped by strong, diverse Republican women, mm. women that were able to relate to a broad, spectrum of, of people within their districts and really bring people back into basic conservative common sense principles uh, that, you know, that you and I will talk about. And so that's really what we're seeing is that the, the, the district does want a common sense leader. They want civility in their leadership. They want someone that is going to be able to get things done, roll up their sleeves, get to work for them. I mean, I hear it every day that they just, they want someone that's going to work for them, but ultimately think that this past year has been really indicative that Abigail Spamberger is not the right person for the job because I mean, literally she votes hundred percent of the time with Nancy yeah. Pelosi, you know, across the board and on policies that, that we just, that don't represent us. I mean, I think that probably the, the biggest indicator of her lack of understanding of the district is that she takes more money than anyone else in Congress from teachers unions. And these are the same teachers unions that shut down our schools and have been trying yeah. to indoctrinate our kids and that are pushing Virginia, the state of Virginia, oh, yeah. under Ralph, Ralph Norfman, out of Kearney, our secretary of education, to push equity policies that have disadvantaged Asian students. And Henrico oh, has a large, a large Asian community. And my friend Oscar Namani up in Fairfax was the parent of a student at Thomas Jefferson High School who 
has sued the state of Virginia for these equity policies because they lowered the standards for blacks and Hispanics and then ultimately forced Asians out of our magnet schools, which is just racist. It's it's racist and it's insulting (laughs) as an Hispanic female and my daughter's biracial. Right. Of course. My daughter loves math and science. I mean, she is going to be a little engineer someday. And so, you know, to, to, to tell her that, in order to compete, they're going to lower the standards for her. Yeah, I oh. just, I would just find it insulting, but it is racist. And, and ultimately, you know, it violates title six, title seven, title nine of all the education codes um, or the civil rights codes. I mean, this, it, these are things that all of their policies from critical race theory to the equity policies um, are just clearly discriminatory they and are. unlawful. And so, it, I mean, I think, so that's like the number one issue with Bamberger. She just does not represent her constituents. And a lot of those, that Asian community were probably more democratic leading voters. Yeah. But my guess is they're going to come back to us because they see the kind of um, just. Well, Astra is no, you know, it's not, you know, she has, she's very heterodox as well. I think there are a lot of people who see call a spade Mm -hmm. a spade. It is, it is racist. It's disadvantaging a certain race of people. This is, this is, this makes sense. It's common sense. And we have complete, I mean, Virginia has complete, Virginia Northam's Education Center, and that's Charles Lane. Who, um, it, the, I mean, these people have completely lost their marbles. And I think one thing you said in that, what I heard you saying it was interesting, was, you know, working for the people. Um, our school board here in my city are so smug and so rude and so terrible. They they act with such entitlement um, at these school board meetings. Just this past school board meeting, the chair of the Alexandria public school, who, by the way, sends both of her children to a private school, as does our superintendent. Okay. So in Alexandria <laughs> city, your the superintendent sends his daughter to a, a private school and the, and the, um, the public school school board chair, uh, sends her kids to a private school. It's astonishing to me that they come in, they ruin the, po- the public schools with all these, po- all this po- political indoctrination and then remove their own children. So they don't have to deal with it. It is just the ultimate insult. But what's even worse is that when parents in my community get up to complain, she tells them to sit down. She says, I I make the rules, the smug indifference to the pain that, especially um, for parents of special needs children um, and through COVID, when parents were begging them to open these schools. And meanwhile, these the, the, the school board chair and the superintendent both sent their children to open schools. I mean, it the, it's just like there's no yeah. limit to the audacity here. Um, and I think that the idea of having public servants really be there to serve the people is lost now for a lot of a, a lot of politicians. And I hate to say that, but it really is on the left. I think that on the right, there is more of a sense of it that you are there to serve the needs and interests of the people and to take courageous positions and sometimes unpopular positions with, with, you know, the leadership in Washington, because you're there to serve your constituents. You actually talk about that. You said you're running to, to defend American values. What, what are those to you? What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, look, there are fundamental values are things that I fought for all over the world. It's our freedom of speech, of expression, a freedom of worship, our freedom of conscience. It's our freedom to, um, it, to, to, to earn a living and to not have it taken from you. It's, a, it's our ability to raise our families and to have authority over our families and not have the state dictate 
what our kids teach or what our kids learn in schools. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's about individual rights is first and foremost what it's about. And it's about really protecting and nurturing the family at the most fundamental level because they are the first institution in any society. And they're what sustains and, you know, em- embed these freedoms in children so that they can then go on and actually, you know, be productive members of society. So, so those are the values that I, that I believe in. And it's what I'm fighting for in this congressional race. I mean, education is first and foremost because we've just seen over the past year when they shut down our schools, and denied us our school choice. I mean, many parents like myself, um, you know, chose to go into the public schools. And we, I mean, we all pay into it anyway, right? right. And when when COVID shut things down, they gave us three weeks to figure out where we were going to yeah. go. But in my district, 80% of the parents in the two largest counties decided to send kids back to school. But the, but the school boards and the teachers union said, no, we're not going to. And so they don't have the right to dictate that. And then right. they send our kids back to school eventually. Or with me, I put my daughter in a private school because I, I'm a single working parent. I, I had right. to. And I think right. that the reason a lot of parents are upset right now is because they put us in really difficult positions. And it never should have happened that way. And how is it that a private school was able to perfectly operate all of last year yeah. without any cases of COVID or anything else? And the public schools couldn't figure it out. And literally, even today, they still haven't quite figured it out. I just, I think that that shows that our public school system is broken, that it's not providing our children the education they deserve, that it's not providing the excellence that they deserve. And when they keep trying to lower the standards or send kids home or put more mandates on them, all it's doing is reinforcing the fact that government thinks it knows better. And I think parents think, I think parents know better. (laughs) You know, I raised my daughter for six years. I, I carried her for, you know, nine months. I think I know what my daughter needs to be nurtured and cared for. And I just, I think that's the biggest value that we're fighting against. And I can tell you that parents are really upset about this. And obviously we see it in Northern Virginia, but down here in in my district, we definitely see it. And that's ultimately what's going to sway this district next year is that, you know, Spamberger didn't, didn't help us. She literally was the biggest, um, you know, taker from the teachers unions that were responsible for all this. And she's going to be accountable for that. I mean, she's going to have to account for that for the lack of school choice that she's that she is providing us because you know with Northam and his policies, they are just denying us our school choice at well, every and, step, whether it's in the governor's schools, private schools, public schools, you name it. It and, and it, it it really does show um, just how powerful these teachers unions are. There has been news reports. There is evidence showing emails between the teachers unions and the CDC. I mean, you know, I love on the left, they're always like, you know, follow the science. Mm -hmm. Well, am I supposed to follow the science when the CDC (laughs) is influenced by a teacher's union? How does that work, right? I, you know, I I actually write on science. I'm I'm extremely pro-vaccine. I've written for the Wall Street Journal on vaccines and other publications. I am very, very for, but I too am suddenly saying, you know what, why why this like blind sort of, uh, sort of adherence to what an agency says when that agency actually takes its orders from the teachers unions. This is how you get people to not get their vaccines, right? This is how, and again, like I'm very pro-vaccine and I hope people do, but I'm really um, frustrated with this narrative out there that you have to sort of blindly follow the science when the agencies in charge of the science aren't actually um, really um, being fair and also being influenced by 
something like this, the teachers unions, which we know have influenced also local um, teacher decisions um, or rather local school district decisions on masking. And there's a whole number of things where the teachers unions have great sway. And so it is um, to have an, to have a, you know, a, a, co- a congresswoman who gets, you know, who gets the most money from the teachers unions, that is, that needs to be a signal to um, the constituents that, you know, this might not be someone who's really going to be looking out for you, but is beholden to the teachers unions. Right here in my city, I mean, again, I talk about the audacity, I often talk about the audacity of, of some of these people and groups. We have a woman running for school board in Alexandria who it, who works for Randy Weingarten, is one of her senior staffers in downtown D.C. And if you look at this woman's Twitter feed, it's hilarious. She's constantly, you know, retweeting Randy and saying, go Randy and, you know, all this stuff. And I think, oh, my gosh, now there is a very good chance she'll be elected here in very liberal northern Virginia um, in Alexandria. But, you know, there's only so much you could do. But it, it is a reason to fight. It is a reason to fight back yeah. and offer people some alternative. And I'm so I'm you know, I'm really glad that you're running down there because. Uh, we really we re, we need stronger voices against the teachers unions in Congress. We certainly do. Um, let me well, just pivot. I'm a go former, ahead. I'm a former teacher myself, so right. I actually always used to withhold my dues from the teachers unions <laughs> for this very reason. They did not right. represent my values, and yeah. that's what teachers teachers need to do that because teachers go into this to serve the children, and the vast majority of them probably don't believe in all this junk they're being taught or or forced to teach or, or to buy into. So they need to stand up against them. And that there are alternatives in Virginia. And that's where I would encourage them to get with the Thomas Jefferson Institute and to find those alternatives and to take a stand against them. It, we have to be united against them. But look, the fact that Spamberger has taken more money than anyone in Congress from the teachers unions, she votes lockstep with Nancy Pelosi, and that this is a Republican plus three points conservative district tells you that we have got to do something different if we're going to win this district back because it, like this, this is unacceptable. It, this won't, is, end. This yeah, is it not, won't end. She, right. She's not even, she's her, she portrays herself as a moderate and this fierce independent woman that's going to go up to DC and you know, like do things different, but she's really just been a rubber stamp for Joe yeah. Biden and Nancy Pelosi. And we need a check on Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. We need a check on these policies that are hurting your kids that are, that are disadvantaging minority children because they're the, they're the ones that were left behind last year. I thankfully was able to you know find additional resources, even as a single parent, to put my daughter in a private school. But most parents can't do that. They can. And that is not right. That is it not is. right. Well, I, I think, I mean, I think this year has been a real wake up call to people who normally would have said, oh, school choice, no way. I'm, I support the public schools. And then suddenly people see that there legitimately is not. And, you know, look, it's frustrating to me, this cognitive dissonance that I see among liberals who claim to really care about minority populations. And then suddenly, but, but don't think that these people deserve the same choices that, people who have more money to move their children out of failing schools. Um, and that is that is what's so frustrating to me is that they they say, well, you know, we really worry about these minority populations, the learning loss among minorities, but we don't really want the money to follow them. We want the money to stay with the broken right. institution. <laughs> it is so galling. Listen, I want to well, pivot just, oh, go on, go on. I don't want to stop you. Oh, well, just, no, no, I mean, that's why last year I wrote an article or an op-ed in the Washington Post, believe it or not, that basically said that the money needs to follow kids right. to school like their backpack, basically. And Aww. Gerard yeah. Robinson, 
who who actually got the first scholarship tax credits done here in Virginia so that kids would have some other options. Yeah. He's endorsed me. He's an African-American professor at UVA um, that was in the McDonald administration. I mean, we I am completely supportive of school choice. I believe that we should have a lot of choices. And yep. right now, the, the people that are, are running our country are not allowing those choices. And Virginia is you know, really got the worst statistics on school choice of any state in the nation. So Absolutely. we've got to do something different. We, we really do. And and to, and to be honest with you, part of the reason is because of Northern Virginia. I mean, there, this, the, and I'm talking Northern, Northern Virginia. It is, it is such, it, it, it's, you know, I, you know, it's funny. I grew up in Illinois, so I sort of get this whole like Chicago versus downstate. It's funny. There's a joke among Illinoisans that Chicagoans never admit they're from Illinois. They just say they're from Chicago. Right. And so if you, if you say to someone, where are you from? And they say Illinois, you automatically know they're from down South or like mid state. Right. Cause they won't ever like Chicagoans, even suburbs of Chicago, they'll never announce. So it's sort of the same thing. Of, and, and, and Cook County, you know, sort of Chicago, the area that was, that was Illinois politics right there. They were just incredible powerful urban areas you know obviously the chicago area is a huge part of the population the same thing here in northern virginia but i think there are just parts of virginia that are fundamentally opposed to the way in which the state is going and that we really need to put people in office who who recognize that and have the have the you know again have the courage to fight back as you say spamberger is it just a, a rubber stamp to anything pelosi wants and for most virginians don't want that um so i i do i i i could talk i Look, I'm a political person at heart, so I could talk about this, but I want to pivot just really for a little bit to parenting. You are a single mom. I have to say, I I admire single moms so much because as a as a um, you know, I'm my husband is is we parent we co-parent we parent together, and we are a mess. <laughs> we are a mess, <laughs> and we can't get it together. So I'm always amazed by single parents, and I think, gosh, how do they do it? So. Now you're running for office. I mean, you still have, you know, you're running a business and now you're running for office. Um, how do you do it? How do you keep all the, the balls in the air? Well, I guess, I mean, first of all, my mother was a single mom for oh. uh, much of my life. So since I was 11 and, you know, I didn't fully understand how amazing she was until I became a single parent and uh, my husband left when I was six weeks pregnant. So uh, my mom, thankfully, since she's a nurse midwife, she was with me through the whole process. And I just can't tell you how grateful I am for her. But I have a very strong uh, family connections all over. I, I mean, they're, my, my family goes way back across Richmond in this area. So I have a large family and they're very supportive of me. They always have been. So even, you know, over the last six years since my daughter was born, um, I, I've continued to run an international nonprofit organization and travel to many different countries doing my work. And when I travel, my daughter stays with, with my yeah. family and yeah. is very supported. And I've been able to continue doing what I'm doing. But as a single parent, I you don't have the option of not working. So you learn how to be very efficient with your time and resources and energy. And so I think that I probably work, you know, twice as hard as, um, as, as some people just because I have to. It, there's no there's no other Good option. Choice. And my daughter has kind of learned to do the same thing. So <laughs> she, you know, she's learning that Hey, you got, you know, you're going to have to do some things to help mommy too. And she's a trooper. Sometimes she even, she even teaches me my speeches and she tells me, no, mom, you got to say it this way. (laughs) And, and she's, she's so sweet. I mean, she has such a gentle spirit. She, uh, when we talk about issues and I explain to her, for instance, like, you know, Governor Northam's comments on abortion or uh, the school policies or critical race theory and, you know, explain these, these progressive policies to a child and you will have a very different perspective of them. 
Because when you have to explain some of these medicinal policies to a child, you begin to understand um, just how far out they are. And so my daughter then says, well, that doesn't make sense. Shouldn't we be, you know, doing X, Y, and Z? Well, mommy, I'm, I'm, you know, my skin is this color. Like, what does that mean for me? Like, like I was sharing at the beginning. And so I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of my motivation is my daughter. I mean, she, she has made me see life in a whole different way than I ever did before. And every day I am just so grateful for her. And I don't want my daughter growing up in a, in a society where she doesn't have the kind of freedom that I grew up being able to have and to, to be able to help people all over the world who were suffering. Like you know, the woman I mentioned who was stuck in Afghanistan with her daughter and couldn't get out. Or yeah. I, I can't tell you how many women around the world that I've worked with who, who have had children ripped from their arms or have been um, pregnant, a pregnant woman, Miriam Ibrahim in Sudan, that was going to be put to death for apostasy. Yes. And we, we helped her get out of prison. And she literally was chained to a, to the floor in Sudan when she had her child in prison, but we got her out. I mean, I am motivated every day because I see what it looks like to not have the kind of freedoms we have. And so that's what I want my daughter to inherit. And I know that, you know, like Ronald Reagan said, it's not passed down in the bloodstream. You've got to fight for it in every generation. And that's what we have to do right now. Tina, this is such a great conversation. And one thing that I sort of, I've talked to other staff as we've sort of, you know, grappled with all of this CRT stuff. It's very interesting what I hear you saying, because I think in some, in some ways, in the United States, we have people who, one, I think, sort of don't understand history. That's a huge problem. But there is also this idea of when I hear people say, you know, America is the worst country in the world. It's like, I don't think you've traveled. Like, I don't think you. <laughs> and yeah. it, it is interesting because just as as a 16-year-old, I went to another country as an exchange student, which I don't, I don't want to mention which country. But it was shocking how they treated minorities in that country. And it, it upset me so much. It startled me so much. I couldn't believe what I was saying. And then I've, you know, I've, I've, I've traveled other places and I've seen similar things, which make me very uncomfortable. And it's interesting because when I hear people say those things and you must also just kind of shake your head in disbelief when you hear these kind of silly things come out. And that's exactly what they are. They're just absolute silliness. They're provocative. They're meant to shock or they're meant to sort of be provocative. Um, but there's no truth in it. You know, we really are. And and it sounds so trite. And it sounds like I'm, you know, uh, but it, we really are the best country in the world. And so to see people t- really tearing it down the way it is, it's been really heartbreaking. So I'm really excited that you're running to fight back and to, and also to fight back for Virginia. Cause I ultimately think Virginia is a wonderful state and it will be wonderful again, little bit of a rough patch right now. <laughs> um, but cool. hopefully with, with some better people in office and some better people in the department of education and better leaderships in the, in, in the state, um, things will get a little bit better. So thank well, you. for this running. Is, Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am so motivated because like you said, I see what happens when we lose this freedom in the rest of the world. So I'm not going to give it up here. And, you know, this seat is one of six that we have to win in order to win back the majority and to put a check on Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. So it is critical of all the seats in Congress this next year in 22 that we win. We have to win this one. And it's it's one of the ones that we can win with a different kind of candidate like myself. And that's that's why I am so adamant about you know putting all of my energy into this and, and doing what we can, because I see what's at stake if we don't. When I I actually worked in Congress, I worked for a member um, I worked under Frank Wolf and other members in Frank oh, Wolf sure. from Northern Virginia. Yeah, yeah. And he was a huge advocate for human rights and religious freedom. And so yeah. 
he had rec- he actually was the one that recruited me to come work in Congress, and I oh. built a bipartisan a bipartisan caucus to defend religious freedom around the world, and that's where I got to travel to over thirty different countries and do policy helping people get out of prison and write but help countries write better laws. And I realized that we needed to do something different to get at the root of the problem because we were just responding to conflict but never you know, preventing it. And so that's why I came out and I started my organization. But that perspective of having worked up there is always a constant reminder to me that there are things that we can do. I know how we can help people. I know how how we had you know, individuals, congressmen of integrity, like Frank Wolf, like others who really did serve the people and stood up for human rights and well, religious you know, freedom. You know, Tina, what's interesting is Frank Wolf was wonderful. I used to work for Chris Cox from California. And oh, yeah. they, yeah, and they often would, you know, partner on the stuff. And guess who, you know, you know yeah. who they used to also partner with? Nancy Pelosi. She's been Nancy's great on, great. on, used on, to, on, used to, <laughs> used to be, yeah. used to be great on China yeah. and North Korean human rights. And suddenly she's just silent on this stuff, right? And then for her to sort of get yeah. behind this idea that America has to be completely destroyed, the, 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 the all, all the institutions in America have to be completely destroyed and sort of built back up in this anti-racist vision of, you know, Abraham X. Kennedy is so frightening to me, but, the, but she knows. Yeah. Knows. She knows what it's what what the North Koreans do uh, to those trying to escape. She knows what the Chinese do to those who right. oppose the communist government. I mean, she knows this. And so I will say personally, it's funny because, I mean, I loved your boss. And, you know, obviously my boss was so great on human rights as well. And I actually worked on his North Korea issues. And, man, that almost sent me over mm-hmm. the edge. That was just that was a tough, tough group of of issues to work work on because oh, it was the worst it, re- it really yeah. is the br- the brutal yeah. the brut- brutality and and horror and torture that you have to hear about if you do those issues but i will tell you they were just they were um there was this time where you know democrats were really active on this human rights issue and suddenly they they've really fallen quiet so it's kind of interesting to to touch base on those issues because it's it's a sad loss she was a real champion yeah i mean they've they've lost their way. Unfortunately, I think that's why so many uh, people in the Democratic Party or people that have been voting Democrat for a while are beginning to recognize that that it's not the party that they grew up with. And right. that it's time to support candidates like myself that that reflect their values far more and in independence and others because they, they've been left behind um, by their own party. And so, you know, we do need to restore dignity and civility in Congress. We need to restore some sense of respect for America's heritage and our ability over the last several years to have fought and championed these basic rights and freedoms for people around the world that didn't have them. And I I know from building the caucus, I mean, I was the one that ran North Korea Freedom Week in Congress. I was just on the phone with Suzanne Schulte earlier today, who, you know, coordinates it with the North Korea Freedom Coalition. And we were the first ones to bring up the trafficking of North Korean refugees through China and to really hit China and all of the violations of human rights during the last Olympics, not just this one, but the last one. Right. And, like, why aren't we standing up for these things? Why are we not standing up for those women in Afghanistan right now? I, I did a, a, an interview recently. I said, where is the Women's March for the right. for the women of Afghanistan? Where is the Me Too movement for the women of Afghanistan? Where's Alyssa Milano? Has anyone seen where, her? Where's Alyssa? Where, right. where are they? Because, you know, in my human rights book, it's all about standing up for the dignity of individuals because that is what human rights is based on. It's not based on Marxism, the kind of stuff they're trying to teach in our schools. Marxism was what led to the Holocaust. Marxism is what has led to atrocities and authoritarian regimes around the world that are fueling yep. Cuba, that are yep. fueling North Korea, that are fueling China. It has not led to freedom and dignity for people. Only, only these values that have been ingrained in who we are as Americans have, and we should be proud of that, and we should be standing up for that. But 
you know, I'm just, I'm very, um, just very discouraged and disappointed by how our country has turned its back literally with what just happened in Afghanistan and the rest of the world and our, and our, and our respect for, for, you know, human rights and, and people and freedom. And that's what we've got to restore. And that's why this, this race is so critical and worth fighting for. Well, I know you're not really discouraged because you have so much energy (laughs) and you are so positive and you have, you make me want to get out there and okay, I almost said run myself, but that's a lie. I never want to do that. (laughs) And I have to say, I am so impressed with people who have the courage and I do get, you know, what, what discourages me is this idea of good people not running anymore. Cause you know, you think like what happened to Kavanaugh, right? I mean, I know he wasn't running for office, but like anybody in the public eye, I'm like, good God, who wants this? Right. But then I talk to someone like you, Tina, you're just so full of energy and you're so, you know, you have such direction in your life and, and you're doing such great work and you will, I, I, I pray, I hope that, um, that everything goes right, um, in your, in your campaign and, and that we see you up there in Congress. I'm really thrilled to talk to you. I'm always thrilled to talk to another mom, a very busy mom. Um, and I wish you all the best of luck. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And everyone can find more out about the campaign at TinaRiveras.com. And I'd love to hear from them personally. This is, it's, it's a labor of love. I, I remember meeting a pastor in Sudan once who, was I had trained and he was going to go back and be persecuted. And mm. I said, is it worth it? Am I, you know, am I teaching you something that, you know, is worth it? Cause I know you're going to be tortured for it. And he said, Tina, they're going to torture me whether I stand up for what I believe in or whether I sit down. I just want to, I want to be able to stand up for what I believe in. And what you've given me is giving me the courage to do that. Just stand with me. Mm. And I think when you're running for government like this, sadly in our day and age, like you said, we will be attacked. And I've gone into it, you know, with fully understanding it, my eyes are wide open. I know that they will attack me, that they will attack my family. I saw it in the last race. And I can't go to those people that I've worked with around the world and continue to encourage them to risk their lives for the type of freedoms that they have to fight for and not be able to stand up here where we have the freedom still to do it. So for all of those people that can come and support me in my campaign, please do and stand with me because it, it, it takes all of us together and I will go out there and I will fight for it. And I, I understand the risk, but um, we've got to stand together. I mean, like the, we're seeing in the school boards, we've got to stand together. And yeah. when we do, we will win. Well, I tell you, after I have a good cry, I'll be, uh, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be signing up because it's very inspirational what you have to say. It's, it's, it's truly inspirational what you've dedicated your life to, to helping others do exactly what you're doing now. Um, and, and you really are just a, a really um, exciting person to follow and and I, I wish you the very best. I, I was going to ask you where you said Tina Ramirez dot com. Is it right? Is that right? Yes. Yes. Tina Ramirez. www.tinaramirez, R-A-M-I-R-E-Z dot com. Tell us also your um, do you have any any other like are you on Twitter? You're on Twitter. I know. People yeah, it's, it's Tina Ramirez VA on all okay. the social handles. Well, this has been a great conversation. It's really exciting um, to hear your energy um, and 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 your um, excitement about your campaign and what um, you can do for Virginia. And we certainly wish you all the best. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. 
Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.